name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. It's May 2012 and water shortages in the south of the country are currently such that a hosepipe ban has been in place for several weeks already. An inconvenience for domestic users, but potentially life and death for running water fisheries. The inland stretches of some rivers are either dry already, or on the verge of being so, with the reciprocal knock-on effect bound to be suffered further downstream. Add to this predation by alien species and a general tightening of the expenditure belt due to the recession, and running a fishery, despite its idyllic appeal, suddenly becomes more of a chore, even a liability, than a pleasure. Today I'm at Avon Springs Trout Fishery in Wiltshire for a meet-up with River Kennet Aldermaston Mill Stretch Keeper Peter Arlott, who's taking a day off from work at his fishery to go fishing here, which sounds like a bit of a busman's holiday to me. So to kick things off, give us a bit of the historical background to your life and work on the Kennet, and to the ongoing problems which need to be faced currently by river keepers generally around the country. Uh, yes, it's been in the family now for over 80 years. Originally, my grandmother bought it, and it's just gone down in the family since then. Mum and Dad then took it over. Now, at the moment, it belongs to me brother, which is where I'm working for him. I believe he was actually born at the site. Actually, I was born in Kimbury, but I was brought up at the mill. We had a little bungalow adjoining the mill, which um, I was brought up in. And I've been associated with, or worked on the site ever since. I've been on there now possibly 12 14 years. Um, originally I went on to the council to start with, but then I've come back and work, started working for my brother. I've been on for about, it's you know, probably about 12 or 14 years. And what sort of job title would you ascribe to the work you do there? Might Riverkeeper be a fair reflection of what you do? I look after the grounds, look after the fishery, so any work it needs to be on river banks, just such as a little bit of strimming perhaps, just to keep the banks tidy and then look after the grounds for the mill. And as such, will be a walking archive regarding the site generally, and the fishing particularly, with regard to changes, both for the better and possibly for the worse over the years, which while they might be specific to Aldermaston Mill and the River Kennet generally, will also be reflective of similar situations up and down the country for the same reasons. Yeah, the fishery's changed an awful lot. I can remember in the days gone by, when the water was absolutely gin clear, um, we used to catch an awful lot of barbel. It was quite possible to get a dozen, 15 fish, possibly around sort of three, four, five pound mark. But uh, now as days have gone by, the fish are fewer, but they are a lot larger than what they used to be. Uh, it's quite common now that people can, if they're lucky, come down and perhaps catch two double figure barbel in a day, which years ago you would never have dreamt of. Is there any particular reason you've picked up on maybe driving this change? Yeah, I, th- I think the the fishery actually, when it's, I won't say it's gone downhill, but when they opened up the canal, which the boat traffic went through, which made the water then a lot cloudier, especially in, in summertime. So we do not now get the renunculus, the weed, growing in the river like we used to. So you've got no place for the fish spawn, no space for the small fry to you know survive and look after themselves so i think you know the water clarity is not as good now as it used to be also with the problem of mink and crayfish which are not helping at all it's just a job now for the small fish to survive 
So what is the current predation situation at the fishery and what direct effect might this be having on angling expectation? Basically, I just look after them, uh, try and control the mink. A few years back when I sort of first came back and started working, I was getting 30, 45 mink a year. But now, I think this year, I think I'm on about four at the moment. So there's been very few. There are not so many about now. Any particular reason for that? Um, I think basically because I'm controlling them. I've got the traps out and um, there are a few years back the moor ends all disappeared but now you can look around the estate and probably see 20-30 moor ends and coots around which a few years back you wouldn't have seen. Can you explain to us in a little more detail now the extent and range of potential damage if left unchecked that mink can bring to a fishery? Well they will eat fish, they will carry on eat fish and all the wildlife around um, such as you know birds we had some kingfishers nesting in a tree on the opposite bank to us and um, the mink just went there and sat there and killed all the young ones and the adult ones unfortunately. My working background was with the Environment Agency and in the early days of the river cleanups the re-establishment of otter populations was seen as a major sign of general river health. But in an established fishery, I can see that this might not always be the case. So in respect to the Kennet, how do you regard the otter? Well, it's very difficult to describe. I mean, yes, it's nice to see them. Obviously, I think they've got to be controlled to a certain amount, in so much, you know, they could do a lot of damage to a fishery. But um, I've seen no presence of them of doing any damage to the fishery at all. So not in our area at the moment. But otters are present. There are otters further upstream, I understand, and I believe there are some further down. And if they started to extend the territory from either direction, that might have an effect, do you think? I think it could make a lot of difference. I have seen one fish, which was a fish of a... It was a carp. It was probably a... I think it was £12.5 on the side of the river. Now, I wasn't absolutely certain whether it was an otter. It could have been, but although it could have been a fish which had died and a fox had pulled it out onto the bank. So it could have been one of one of two things, you know, either a fox or or could have been an, an otter perhaps, but um, I would suspect it was probably a fish could have died and the fox pulled it out and decided to have a chew on it. Probably more noteworthy, and this applies to much of the country at the moment, unfortunately, is the seemingly uncontrollable spread of signal crayfish. Yes, they are quite a pain. I personally don't trap them at all. I haven't got a licence at the moment to trap them, but um, I'm thinking about uh, applying for one just to take, you know, to get them out because they are, I'm sure they're doing a lot of damage. For the benefit of those that don't know, what's the story behind the signals then? I think somebody brought them in for the uh, table and I believe they were, I'm not absolutely certain, but I think they were taken to a trout fishery to be looked after and to be bred for the table and they escaped. And it's all over the country now too, in very little time at all, with devastating results, and seemingly all from a single batch. That I don't know, and the other thing is of course, do people catch them and move them and take them elsewhere? Which it could happen, I'm not saying it does, but um, you just don't know that reason, could be. Hmm, I can understand people moving fish around to established populations that are absent or thin on the ground elsewhere, but why anyone would want to introduce such a devastating predator is another matter. Well, it does, but then if people like crayfish, I mean, years gone by, 
European crayfish, I mean, people used to trap them to eat them, you know, before, obviously you can't now because they're protected. We don't even see them now, but, um, you know, years gone by, you used to. But uh, whether people think on that lines, you know, if they catch them and move them elsewhere, they'd be good, they can go and catch them. It's irresponsible, really, because besides the damage they can do to a fishery, they also carry a disease which they seem to be immune to, but which our native crayfish are not. Again, with devastating results. I believe so, yes. I don't know very much about it, but I think that, as you say, they've um, brought in a disease which has just wiped them out completely. And in purely fishery terms now, what specific damage are the signals doing there? Well, I think, as far as I can gather, when the fish do spawn, they just clear up all the eggs, whereas you're being never used to, not in the same manner as what the signal crayfish are. And also... Back in, in my younger days, you'd see crayfish, but not in the same numbers as of like you're seeing the signal crayfish at the moment. Now, you mentioned earlier water clarity. In common, no doubt, with a lot of once entirely rural areas, buildings have started appearing increasingly in your vicinity. As a result of this, are you now experiencing issues of urban runoff, on top of which you also have a marina upstream of the fishery, which again has the potential to have an effect? I wouldn't have thought so, no. So basically, the only problem that I see is just the water clarity in so much as the clearer water to allow the, the ranunculus and the weed to grow. We just do not get the weed now growth like we used to. And what about issues created by the Environment Agency themselves in terms of straightening runs of the river, either upstream or downstream, to help reduce flood defence threats? No, I think the biggest problem with the river now is getting more of a spate river to what it used to be if we had heavy rain further up the valley it would sort of take 24 hours for the river to come up but now you've got houses houses more houses all being built so when we do get rain it goes straight onto concrete people are now doing their gardens patio in those so the rain now goes onto concrete into the drains into the river and it's gone it's just not getting into the ground where it should be getting in so now the water's coming up that much more quicker and going back down much quicker. And what, if any part, does abstraction play in the currently low water levels? The rivers are getting very low now because of the abstraction of water. When you, I said to you that we're getting more and more houses built, so what are we doing? More and more people, population getting larger, taking more water out. So you just can't keep extracting water, which is not there. And is any of this having either a perceived or even a direct effect on the Kennet? Well, at the moment we're just about surviving, but we are getting into stages when it is very low. Because I control the levels of the um, top, what we call the top river, which then goes into Weirpools. We have to keep the levels on the top river a certain height to allow the boat traffic to go down the canals. If I was to open up too much water, then the canals would go dry. So we have to keep our water shut down accordingly. And we're getting to the state now where most of this summer we've been shut down and very little water going through. I can just about keep the fish pass open, which is not easy, not open fully, but um, just to allow the fish to move upstream. When you say shutting down, is that the water flow or the fishery itself? It's just shutting down the water, which um, we have a river which comes in what we call the top river, then it drops down into weirs, so we have to shut the weirs off a bit. So there's the lack of water, and then it goes back into the Kennet further down. 
again, what, if any effect, is all of this having on the fishery? I wouldn't have thought it was having too much of an effect, but obviously it is um, with the lower water, there's lots of, lots of places which you would be fishing which you can't fish because you haven't got the depth of water there. But might the converse side of this mean that fish are likely to be holed up in more concentrated numbers and in specific hotspots, thereby making them easier to locate by anglers? Yes, they are to a certain extent. You do find that, yes, they can be sort of stacked up, but it, it just depends, you know, it's very, it's, very, it's very difficult. I mean, you've got your, you've got your three weirpools and they've got different variation places they can go, so you've still got a reasonable depth of water there. But where you normally fish down on the shallow water, perhaps you're not you're not getting the water there to the for the barbel, at least the barbel. Possibly the small fish like the dice, yes, they'll stay on the shallow water. What about the riverbed itself? Has that also changed both in substrate composition due to the low flow rates and number of swims available to fish? I wouldn't have thought it's changed an awful lot. Just the fact is that yes, the swims are affected a bit with the low water the swims are not there you, know, you would fish but I wouldn't say it's, it's altered an awful lot. I understand that at the bottom of one of the pools there is now a big gravel stack. Would it not make sense to remove some of this both there and at other locations to increase the size of the fish holding pools? No it was always a, a shallow area there even in, in my younger days um, we used to get a lot of pipeweed growing around there possibly when the water levels were a bit higher then it would have been underwater but um, and probably over the time now it's it's gone shallow and it's obviously got so much silt in it and then the, we've got some weed growth around it now which has sort of grown up into an island now so the water now transfers either side of the island. Well that's the geography of the fishery fully explored so can we now turn our attention to the fishing itself. Tell us a little bit about the species mix and balance within the Aldermaston Mill fishery boundaries. Well basically we've got chub and barbel. Most of the anglers that come, they like to come fish for the barbel. A lot of people like to try and catch their first barbel if they can, which um, it does. Sometimes I can put them right to try and catch a barbel. Chub, we get some quite large chub now, sort of four, five, six pound chub, but not in the numbers like we used to. They were many years ago. You could go out fishing and catch what four or five chub, no problem at all in a couple of hours. But now, it's, um, if you get a chub or two, then you've had a reasonable day. It's just not the same as it used to be. Although, fortunately, there are a few small chub coming back into the water now, which is looking a good sign for, for things to come. And presumably, the chub and the barbel are the two main targets for anglers visiting the fishery. Chub and the barbel are the main anglers' targets. Probably more so the barbel than anything else, is what people are after. With the fisher's reputation built on its ability to produce mainly big fish, with nothing much else unfortunately now in support of them. If correct, do you have any thoughts as to why that should be? Well yes, I would, going back to what I said earlier, that um, with the, uh, the clarity of the water and also not having the weed growth for the small fry to survive in and the crayfish, so I think it's these things which are not helping to get the... Um, to get the fish to spawn. The fish spawn, but you don't get the small fry. And with that lack of small fish in mind, what's the pike situation like there today? There are a few pike in the river. If you catch a double figure pike, I would say it's a reasonable fish. I think the best we've had that I know of is um, 
think there was a 27 court many years ago, but I think last year, I think last season, £22 was the best one that I heard of. Still, a very good fish. It is. And Graham Pullen tells me that you also see a few very good perch there from time to time too. Yes, there are some quite nice perch. Um, if you get a £2 perch, I say that's a good perch. We've had one 410, I think, was one caught this season, which is a nice perch. And I'm not quite sure, I can't remember now, but Graham had a nice perch as well. I think which was £3 some odd. But predominantly, it is a barbel water. Predominantly, it is a barbel water, yes. Personally, myself, I like to fish for all species of fish. The shallower waters, you can get some quite nice dice now. They're coming back in numbers. Years gone by, you could get big bags of dice, but um, then they disappeared, but they're beginning to come back. Everything seems to be going in cycles all the way around now. And the roach fishing, which was up on the slower stretches, if you get a fish of two pound, I had one or two, two, I think it was last season, which is a nice fish. But if you get a, a pound plus roach, that, and that's quite a nice roach for the fishery. Okay, with barbel the number one species in the fishery, perhaps you could give us a bit more background there, particularly in terms of changes in numbers and average sizes from your observations on site over such a long period. Seasonality too would be another interesting factor. Yeah, I would say quite some years back. As I was saying earlier, you could catch sort of eight, ten fish or probably even more. Baits then used to be a bit different in those days. In my younger days, it used to be um, wall sausages. Perhaps I shouldn't advertise, but um, that used to be just bring them to the boil. And we used to use those as bait. Or bread, which is a very good bait, which is what I used to like to use. Then it's sort of gone on from there to the high protein baits such as pellet and luncheon meat which is probably luncheon meat followed the um, sausage and then it's gone on to pellets and more pellets. Personally myself I'm not a great believer of pellets they they do catch fish I'm not against them but uh, I do wonder whether the pellets are doing any damage to our fish in such as the fact that they're with the spawning and that because the fish now are getting a, a lot larger but they're getting more like carp they're getting very fat and not lean and slender they still fight well but are we doing any damage to the fish with all the pellets which are being thrown in because many anglers they just chuck in loads of pellets and are we just not doing them any good so that I'm not quite sure of and can you give us a bit more in the way of statistics regarding historical and even more recent barbel catches one evening I decided, when I was living at the mill, I'm going back probably about in my teens then, that I would um, go and fish all night, which obviously living there I was allowed to do. I started fishing and I ended up that particular evening with over 100 barbel. One particular fish which had a mark on it, which I caught three times through that evening. And I was fishing in the same spot all the time used to have an old centre pin reel, I had a knot on the line, so I used to pull the line out till I got to the knot, a couple of turns back on the reel, and then cast for the top of the tree on the opposite bank, and I knew that was in the right spot. And just a bit of bread, and all the time it took me basically was just to land the fish. Chuck the bread in, and it just took straight away. That was, well, I should never forget that night but um, probably not something you want to do all the time, but it's just a nice thing to do once in a while. And then times have gone by. 
well, obviously I wanted to catch a double figure barbel and it was quite so many years later I was doing sort of £9.14, £9.15, £9.15.5 but just to get that 10 you know it had to be a proper 10 before I did and um, eventually I managed to do it so, so I think I'm now looking somewhere around about my 15th or 16th I think it is now. So how many doubles have you had since then and what's your own personal best? I've had uh, 24 I'm now looking for me 25th I had one couple of seasons back, one particular good e couple of evenings. The water was up in flood, really in flood, and I had box it 15 barbel. Um, my best was my personal best, which was 14.5, and the 14 barbel averaged £9.11. I had two actual double figure barbel, one cast after another. It was just one of those memorable evenings, just unbelievable. But it's not the biggest barbel from the fishery. Far from it, in fact. No, the biggest barbel, I believe, is 16.7. I think it's 16.7. It could be 16.9. 16.7 is the largest so far this season. Any other particular barbel, or catches of other fish for that matter, worthy of note? Probably going back some, what, 10, 15 years to have some people come down from Kent quite regularly, and they used to wade the water and fish with maggot. And they would do quite well and catch a dozen, 15 fish, 20 fish, quite nice fish, sort of seven, eight pound. That was at the stages when the fish were getting less, but getting larger. But they used to do quite well on the maggot. But normally, as I say now, it is all just um, meat and pellet. With your vast wealth of experience of this stretch of the Kennet, what would be your recommendation in terms of tackle and tactics aimed at getting a good big barbel result? Well, most people now, they just put up, you're allowed to fish two rods, they stick up two rods, possibly with a feeder and pellets in, and just fish on the bottom with a pellet. My own personal preference is that um, you would never see me sat on the riverbank with a rod rest. I'm always holding the rod and the meat has got to bounce along. I only use meat. I've never used a pellet in my life. To be quite honest, I don't intend to either. It's just nice to feel something happening. I just like the meat to bounce along the bottom and you can feel your fish and it's just, just a good way of fishing. But uh, to sit and just watch a rod tip all day, then it's just not me. And I think also by doing that method, at least you're putting your bait to the fish. Whereas when you cast out, the fish has got to come to you if you're fishing you know, static on the bottom. And not only roving around the luncheon meat, but also a blob of plasticine on your line. Yes, the uh, other thing is, because I like to bounce the meat along, you can just get the right weight, whereas if you were using shot or leg weights, um, you'd have to keep changing it. But with plasticine, you can just add a little bit or take a bit off just to suit the swim you're in, and it's, it's just ideal. Also, if you hook a good fish, sometimes you get snagged up with a leg weight. That could get caught in a snag which would then jam you up and you lose the fish. Whereas with a bit of plasticine, then the line just pulls through it. So you have, all you've lost is a bit of plasticine. Plus the fact it's a lot cheaper than what lead weights are. Does the plasticine, acting to some extent like a fixed ledger, not tend to put a taking fish off? No, I don't think so, because I'm not um, using that much weight, because the meat is bouncing along the bottom. It's just moving about, so it makes no difference at all. And if you feel a bite, then normally you just feel that little bite, so you've got to just lower the rod. 
then when you lowered the rod you've taken all resistance off whereas if you're fishing with a ledger and a heavy weight then the fish has got some resistance you know you can they've got to pull the rod down which they can feel whereas holding the line and feeling your way down you just don't do that just to be clear for people listening in who might fancy giving the technique a try Describe to us in complete detail now how this particular rig is set up. Balls I would put on, would, I would have um, my hook on the end, then probably about 12-15 inches further up the line, put a little dust shot just to stop the plasticine from slipping down. And then just put the plasticine on and just took me a bit of meat on. Well, and away you go. No swivels, nothing at all. And your catch record here speaks for itself. Well, that's all I use, and I, I use a £10 line, and it's £10 straight the way through, so I think, you know, that's a reasonable line to use, you know, for the fish we've got in the river. Is there any value, do you think, to putting a bit of loose feed in there, too? A lot of people do, but I think it's just a waste of time. Personally, myself, the only bit of bait that goes in the river is the bit on the end of my hook, or what falls off the, the hook at the end of the day. I don't, I don't put any pre-baiting at all, not from the barbell point of view. When fishing for the roach up on the slower stretches, then I use bread, just a cheap bait. And I think um, also I, with that, I do make up a little bit of mash and chuck a bit of mash in just for a bit of ground bait, but not an awful lot. But that's uh, basically all the baiting I do. If I do happen to fish for the dace down on the shallows with maggots, then I will lose feed a few maggots in there. So not a lot, but just a few. And as you're fortunate enough to live on site and can therefore choose when you fish, all things being equal, if you could choose the ideal day for Big Barbel and Big Chub, what would you be looking for? I would think probably from the Barbel point of view, if the water is really up in flood, we've had a mild spell, it needs to be warm, but if we've got plenty of water in the river, probably your best best factor, although it does limit, you are limited to some of the swims you can fish, but you're still going to find some slack water where you can actually fish for your Barbel. So I would think Possibly I would say that. Although the same, the summertime you can have, you know, warm evening, warm days, and it can still fish well. You just don't know. One day is never like the other. Chub much the same. I know you don't allow night fishing on site, but if you did, do you think it would make much of a difference to catch rates anyway? No, I don't think it would. It's a daytime fishery. Obviously I can fish it in the evening sometimes. And I've actually fished in the evening and caught nothing at all when it's fished well in the daytime. So there's just no guarantee that you're going to go and catch fish if you go into the evening or after dark. So I wouldn't say it was an advantage at all. Yes, it could be you could have a good evening. And then tomorrow night might not be no good at all. To supplement the coarse fish species, have you ever thought of stocking trout to encourage fly fishermen too? No, we, we don't stop trout in there because obviously it's a mixed fishery and um, we like to keep the water closed for the uh, wildlife and everything to and the banks to recover. There is some talk they might do away with the closed season, but um, if they do, we would still keep our fishery closed, the mandatory closed season, just to allow the banks to recover and also the wildlife to nest in peace. Still on the subject of trout, I believe you also have a lake on site which might have some historical links to trout fishing too. Many, many years ago, when I was a youngster, probably in my teens, um, we just dug out a little pond and we did have a few small trout in there, which um, we brought on. Um, we then put them into the lake. 
and we just caught these and had it as a little not as a fishery but just for the family just to fish for them and then um, these some carp turned up which went into the lake so the lake got frozen over further down the road and then they they were put into the lake and that's where it's gone from there so so it is now a fully fledged carp lake so it's now a carp lake yeah it's all in the same fishery as the um, day tickets now are 14 pound a day allows you to fish two rods that's either the lake or the river and the fishery opens at um, eight o'clock in the morning and you can fish till seven in the evening that's the rules basically i've got no hook or bait restrictions i think to myself well you know people are going to break them they will do and um, i'm not a disbeliever of barbed or barbless hooks talking to some people i think the barbless hooks can do more damage to the mouths than the barbed hooks so i personally myself use barbed hooks but I do pinch them in the microbarb normally I use. What length of river are we talking about here? Well, we have four weir pools. One goes into another weir pool. Um, I would say then you've... If you used all the fishery, you've probably got room for 20 anglers to fish the river if they fish the top river, which is more of a roach river. And the uh, odd bream up there. But... Uh, those 20 people probably some of the people wouldn't get the swims what they want because a lot of people want the barbels so there aren't that number of barbel swims there although there are barbel up in the slower stretches but they don't get caught as much as what they do down in the more aerated water taking account of the current economic climate from 2011 on into 2012 is aldermaston's reputation for big barbels still sufficient to keep the fishery viable no, it's slackened off a lot now just recently. This last season has been very poor. I think basically it's because a lot of anglers come from probably Kent and Essex. The cost of fuel now has gone up tremendous. And I had somebody come from Kent the other day and it said it cost him £80 for his day, over £100 for his fishing. That was just his fuel and his ticket, which was £14, and his bait which he bought it's going to cost him over £100 for his day's fishing and I don't think people can just do it now That said the fact that you can still draw people in from as far away as Kent is testament to the quality of the fishery How then in pure quality terms does it compare to anything else in the vicinity? We're the, basically the only day ticket water there is on the, on the River Kennet and I mean the Kennet is well known for its barbel so technically unless you belong to a club in like the Reading District or Newbury, then you're, um, which is the, the two clubs either side of us, um, they're the only places where you can get the water for, you, for your barbel. So I would say things are not easy at the moment. So how do you see the future of the fishery, both economically and as a continued producer of quality fish? Well, I'm quite worried about it in so much that um, it's going to be the lack of water and the problems we got, you know, with the new fish coming along, you know, the smaller fish. We did have, um, at one stage, quite a large number of small barbel being caught, about three seasons back. But um, I was informed by somebody the other day that um, they did introduce some barbel further upstream, quite a large number. So that accounts for the small fish, which I'm looking grateful for, thinking um, we were getting back on tracks. But it was fish probably put in further upstream. So some concerns then regarding its future status. The only thing that concerns me is whether we're going to have the water there to hold the fish. That's my biggest concern. If it's just going to dry up, which the upper Kennet apparently now is um, 
it's quite dry up there at the moment. You, know, you can walk over in a pair of shoes and not get wet feet, which is a place up there where they trout fish. Normally I like to end where possible on an optimistic note, but there isn't really much you can say when water starts to disappear at a time when globally temperatures are on the rise and there is a hosepipe ban currently in place in the area. Not exactly something a few heavy showers are going to be able to reverse. All we can do here is record the facts and anglers' concerns built around them. Only time will tell if this is just a trend or a hiccup. My thanks then to Peter Arlott for spelling it out as it currently is. <laughs> <laughs>